Hi, I'm Jonathan Sposato, owner and publisher of Seattle Magazine. This episode, we are talking to Donald Watts, leaning on a rich basketball history to son of former Seattle Supersonics legend Slick Watts. Donald has turned a successful basketball career into a wide platform, which includes work as a radio TV personality, Fox Sports Northwest TV color commentator on Root Sports, KGR Radio Husky Honks co-host, frequent guest host of other numerous radio shows. He is a motivational speaker, and he gives his gift of reaching kids through teaching basketball and he is one heck of a guy with an important message today and as always i'm also joined by rob smith executive editor-in-chief and all-around great guy and a mean basketball player himself i might add Um, i'm so excited to talk with the both of you and have this really great conversation about a wide range of things so donald thank you for being here oh hey thank you for having me uh you know Long days. I'm tired, but you guys lifted my spirit. I'm feeling awfully important here today. Oh, all right. Oh, and, and, and you're lifting ours. You're I'm lifting the, ours. Yeah. I'm a great Seattle magazine. Hey, I'm excited. That's right. That's yeah. right. So we'll, we'll, we'll have fun talking. So, so, you know, I'll start off with the first question, which is this concept of, um, I call it fame twilight. And it can mean different things. It could mean that, you know, maybe a long time ago you had a certain career and, uh, and then now your career is in a different place. It could be that maybe you are related to someone famous. Uh, it could be that you are famous within a certain category, you know, like you're an amazing um, neurosurgeon and all the doctors know you, but like nobody else in the general public knows you. So I kind of think about this concept of fame twilight. All I can think about is, is your father slick was and at the age of 56 i remember my dad and i watching your dad play oh you're aging yeah. yourself yeah now. I, I totally aging myself <laughs> i know i i don't know I, it's not uh, to my advantage but i remember when my dad and i would buy sonic's courtside seats for 36 dollars can you believe that they were once 36 dollars a piece and that was a splurge that was like paycheck day you know he's got a couple of extra bucks and we would go but we'd watch your dad play and he was a phenomenal player and then i was delighted by the fact that years later like maybe i don't know i was in my 20s and i was working at microsoft and i'd work out at the pro club pro club in bellevue yes and every afternoon after work i'd come in at like 6 30 7 o'clock and your dad would be sitting there with downtown freddie brown watching TV and I would say hi to them all the time and they would recognize me. It was just so much fun and, and they were just great personalities. So so this concept, tell our listeners, I mean, you're a very accomplished guy in your own right, but early on, maybe when you were a kid uh, and a teen, what was it like growing up with such a famous father? Uh, I mean, it, it was fun. It was exciting. You know, you, you get in the habit of being late everywhere you go. <laughs> <laughs> and not only, you know, was he famous, but he also signed every autograph, you know, stopped and smiled and had a conversation with everybody. He had a couple sayings uh, that he would say. It just, you know, as a kid, it kind of drives you crazy. He's like, I'm all about the people. The people made me. The people made me. So that was <laughs> his. Great. He always uh, had an appreciation. Um, he would actually talk bad about guys who didn't appreciate, who were famous and, and didn't realize that, you know, their checks and the things that they got came from people right from people's appreciation of them and he he would really he you know he would have some not too kind words to say about famous people whose ego got in the way of 
embracing people, right? He just, he always, himself always felt a connection uh, with the people and he felt like anybody who reached a certain status should try to to honor, you know, their position in that way by by embracing people, giving them a smile, you know, giving them an autograph, get, you know, wh- whatever it is that can make people feel good. That was mm-hmm. just who he was and how he was. You talked about your own son, uh, who's nineteen. I yep, think Isaiah. And, 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 Isaiah. Isaiah. That's Watts. right. All right, Isaiah Watts. So, so what? In what ways did uh, your father Slick's um, parenting, how he was as a father, influence you uh, one way or the other uh, as a father yourself? Oh man, I mean, it, it has influenced me as a man. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's in a situation right now where. He's my father had a stroke and he's living with me mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the situation is really unfortunate. But, you know, I've stepped up and taken care of him because and I tell him, I said, man, you know, you, this is not a burden for me. You know, I'm I'm doing this because of who you were for me, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that it's an honor for me to be able to look after him, take care of him, give him the best life that I can. Uh, for him going forward and giving him the best chance at the 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 fullest recovery possible, um, so he just influenced me as a as a man as a whole, uh, but as a father, it made me feel like you know playing basketball and I had disappointment with chronic fatigue syndrome, not being able to further my professional career and and you know I had dreams of you know being in the Hall of Fame and being one of the best who ever played, and so um, that was that's tough, right? But the anchor uh, for me is I really, when I have my kids, I have two kids. Um, they're eight days apart, and two different mothers, so very challenging situation. But because of who he was for me, I feel like I always felt like the best thing I could be in this world is a father, right? Like, like that's the number one top priority and how I judge myself um what I want to be judged by is is how I've been there and stepped up for and continue to step up for for my own kids. And that's because that's a direct result of the love that I felt uh, from him. And so I try to make sure that I, I live that like people ask me, is there pressure to be a great basketball? I didn't feel that. I didn't feel pressure to be a great basketball player. But if there was any pressure and it's a positive pressure, it was to be the best parent that I could be for my kids because I had that experience and I I don't take it for granted. Now, the Sonics Legend Fund was created in part. Legends. Legends. Coach Watts is in the building now. (laughs) Coach Watts is in the building. (laughs) The Sonics Legends Fund is helping out your father. He played in the NBA. Granted, it was a very different time in terms of the salaries and things like that. So I think there's kind of a misperception. There definitely is the perception, but there also is the reality that like, you know, he, he's he's done pretty well. Um, and unfortunately, like, that's one of the challenging things. He has a situation where he gets sick and all of a sudden there's no money. And so the Sonics Legends Fund has been uh, very instrumental in during this time where we're trying to get things all figured out and make sure he has access to the things that he should have and, and is supposed to have, uh, they, it's been a, a terrific stopgap to make sure that he has his acupuncture, um, that he does his hyperbaric therapy, things that can really help him beyond the natural recovery time. And these are things that health insurance doesn't cover. They don't cover. Yeah, they don't cover. And they're also things that, you know, they've tried to deny him having. 
And they're not things that are new to him. They're things that he was doing before he had a stroke. These are, you know, he's got acupuncture before he had a stroke. He would do hyperbaric therapy because some of his lung issues, um, he has autoimmune. I have autoimmune. Yeah. Um, and so these are things that were a part of his lifestyle before that also are beneficial for him in his current situation that I've been determined to have him have so he can have the best quality of life. And Frankly, the Sonics Legends Fund is is the only reason that we're able to continue to to do it. It's super, like, just big shout out to Sandy. She came through. She's done this stuff for the Seahawks. Her and my dad have built a relationship, her and Gus, over time. She saw a need. Um, she connected with the community. And the thing that makes me feel really good about it is that it will impact people beyond my father. He's not the only one who who is a former, you know, Seattle supersonic, somebody who's inspired the community that will fall on hard times. And to know that there's a place and there's a community and a place for Sonics fans to rally around uh, guys once the whistle stops blowing, once the tennis shoes stop squeaking to give them the best life possible. Uh, it just, it, it warms my heart um, with a heart that's kind of broken from all the trauma that I, that we we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, to, for the benefit of our listeners, Sandy Gregory is the executive director for the Sonics legend fund. And a little bit about the Sonics legend fund is that legends. Um, oh gosh. I was so waiting. Sonics <laughs> legends I was wait, after he corrected me. Yeah. I was no, waiting for that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Coach Sonics Watts is legend. in the building. Be, you know, ah, oh, I know. Here's how I'm going to remember because there are, there's more than one legend. Yeah. There are like many legends. There you go. Many. Sonics Legends Fund. Very good. So a word about them. Uh, you know, that fund was created to assist former Sonics players in need of financial assistance, connecting them with caring support and critical resources like medical care and housing. Sonics Legends uh, currently receiving funding include Gus Williams, uh, star member of the Sonics team, uh, 1979 NBA championship team, and of course, Slick Watts, the ever-popular guard whose trademark headband still resonates today amongst longtime Sonics fans. So so just a fantastic organization. And there is, of course, a way that if you're out there, listeners, that you want to help, uh, go to Sonics Legends Fund org and right on the homepage is a donate online. And in fact, I'm going to do that in a minute. Uh, while Rob, you ask the next question, I will, on behalf of Seattle Magazine, make a donation to the Sonics Legends Fund. Uh, but I also want to talk a little bit about what happened, if you can, in April of 2021. What what happened to Slick? Uh, he, uh, he had a stroke. Yeah. Um, he had a stroke. He He was... Somewhere um, between the house and going to walk, walk, I don't know if he was leaving the house and to go to the dog park, what he does normally in the morning, or if he was returning to his house from the dog park. But he had a stroke. Uh, he was found outside uh, in between his two vehicles, probably like a 49 degree rainy day. And he mm. was on the concrete mm. um, down, you know, uh, and they, they live out in, in Union Hill in Redmond. And uh, he had been out there for a while. So by the time he got to the hospital, there wasn't any treatment that they could do. They just had to watch the stroke. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's the thing. And then from there, we went to acute rehab uh, and then came home to my house. And then I've been caring for him uh, ever since. That's right. And I understand that there's a GoFundMe that somebody else set up. Mm -hmm. And um, it is 
the Power to the People Fund for Coach Watts. Absolutely. And so if you find that on GoFundMe.com, Power to the People Fund for Coach Watts, you can also uh, lean in and help out. Uh, I see that there's a number of names that I recognize who are good friends who are uh, who have already given. And, um, and Seattle Magazine and Jonathan and Rob will also be uh, making a donation today uh, to that. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, and out to the Power to the People is something my dad used to say all the time. We, we, he would, you know, he's an educator in the Seattle School District for over 30 right. years. That's right. He would walk in the building and power to the people, he'd say to the kids. Power to the people, power to the people. I'm going to hit the donate now, and I got to beat Brian Robinson, that guy. I got to give more than that guy. Okay. <laughs> I love competition. In, in fact, Donald, one of my buddies was one of your dad's colleagues, said he was a fantastic guy. He was really thrilled that he was friends. He could call Slip Watts a friend. Right. So do you battle the misperception that... Somebody who played in the NBA, somebody who was very well known in the NBA, needs this kind of assistance at this point. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think there is a um, like, you know, how could that be, you know, kind of deal. But I, his salary at the school district was more than his NBA salary. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking about thirty-six dollar courtside tickets. It ain't like it is today. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm gonna tell him when I get home too. Hey, man. I heard you could watch you play for $36 courtside. That was courtside. a long time ago, man. Courtside. And gonna, <laughs> and right on the floor. He's going to have a he's going to have a few choice cuss words for that. So, <laughs> how old were you when you first beat him in basketball? You guys used to play one-on-one? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh we used to play one-on-one. Um when I first beat him, I think I was 14 years old, okay. and that's the last time we played. <laughs> <laughs> no more, huh? That was it. I remember what he said, too, because it was to the point where I could have beat him before, but he had these Jedi mind tricks, and then he would start, like, stumping, and, you know, and I would just start laughing, you know, because the way he played defense, and he'd come back, he'd come back and beat me. Then I finally beat him, and... His comment was, yeah, you, you're too big. I stole the ball from you, and it hurt. So I'm done with you. <laughs> and that was the last time That was the last time we played. I will say that before, uh, at when my grandson, I mean, when his grandson, my son, was young, he liked to get out there and play against him a little bit when he was, like, young, young. And then he got to be six or seven and when he could beat him. Yeah, man. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember a fun time at the gym when, actually, when my son beat him for the first time and was excited. And then we had another friend, Jawan Gonzalez, who's kind of like an adopted son for us, uh, one of my son's best friends. And Jawan said something to my dad. He was like, oh, I'll, I'll, uh, he said, my turn, I'll beat you. My dad turned around. He said, oh, boy, I'll just raise up on top of you. <laughs> I'm like, raise up? You haven't jumped in 20 years. <laughs> and then he took the ball. He said, let me show you. And he was like actually like trying to shoot a jump shot, like get up in the air. And he shot about five of them, and then he went and sat down. He's like, "Ooh, that, that stuff hurts." <laughs> so, does your game resemble, or did your game resemble your dad's? Did you try yeah. to model your game on his at all? Not at all. Not at all. Um, he he didn't even try to model my game after his. Uh, he says scores got paid. So he tried to fashion me to be a scorer. <laughs> which, which you were. Yeah. He said, don't, hey, don't do that passing stuff. I led the league in assists and I didn't make no money. He's like, Fred Brown made all the money. I want you to be like Fred. <laughs> you be a shooter. <laughs> now, I'm sure everybody remembers, but you were widely regarded as one of the top high school basketball players in the history of this state. 
Uh, you were the Gatorade State Player of the Year. You were Washington's Mr. Basketball, Prep Athlete of the Year. Uh, you were very high in national rankings. That was about 30 pounds ago. <laughs> and that's a lie. That was about 50 pounds ago. <laughs> so then you're one of the country's top recruits. You decide to stay and help rebuild the University of Washington program. Mm-hmm. You led the Huskies to two NCAA tournaments. You helped revive what was a moribund program at the time. You were headed to the pros, and then you got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. How difficult was that for you? To, your whole future must have changed just like that. Yeah, uh, it was It was tough. And I actually was dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome when I was at Washington. And I, and I got um, my junior year, I was kind of tired of dealing with it. And I actually had called my mother. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go into this coach's office and just shut it down because I was struggling that bad and the brain fog and the fatigue from practices. And, um, but we were playing in South Alabama. People don't. I was born here, but I grew up between here and Mobile, Alabama, when my parents separated. And my mother actually convinced me. She's like, just look, just get to Christmas. Right, get to these Christmas games. We, I got a doctor. I want you to see a naturopath. I want you to see when you're here. And if it doesn't help out, if it doesn't work, then I, I can support you 100% stepping back from basketball and just going to college. So I was that close to just shutting it down. And I went, and we went and saw Dr. Hale at the Health Hut in Mobile, Alabama, and he did some, like, uh, pressure point testing and treated me for stress on the adrenal gland, told me to change my diet, get off of sugar, white flour, and gave me just all these vitamins to take. And uh, those first three days off sugar were like miserable. I mean, like <laughs> I just—I've never been on drugs, but it felt like an addict. You know, I was jittery. I was—it was good. I was at home with my mom, you know, during that time because we, we were on break to start that diet and that regimen. And when I got back, uh, I felt better. Uh, I felt better—not not all the way better, but I felt better where I could—I had two and a half hours a day of work in me that I could do six days a week. And so uh, we sat down with the coaching staff. We adjusted my schedule a little bit. Um, and that's when we took off. Uh, from there, we ended up in the NCAA tournament, ended up in the Sweet 16. I think I, at one point I was leading the Pac-12 in scoring. I went from all, like almost quitting, you know, in one week to the next week being second in the league in scoring. I think I was like third or fourth in the country in free throw attempts, right? Like my energy, like just, it came. So it was something that I was managing in college. But at that time, I also was like, man, I just want to peel. Like, I just, I don't want to do all, like, I want to peel. I want to just be better and whatever. So I was, I was playing those mind games with myself during the off season, during that off season. And then when it wasn't working out, then I'd get back on my diet, my regimen and all that stuff uh, during the season. So it was something that I managed through, through college that I wasn't going to be able to, or wasn't able to manage as a professional. Um, you know, when you, when you think about what I was able to accomplish in college and then like to do that with autoimmune disease, like it, 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 I look back on it and it's like, man, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. And I just, you know, you still dream about what would happen if you weren't dealing with that, you know, that I would have been able to fulfill. I feel like I was in a position to really be able to fulfill all of my dreams. And it's to this day, it's something that I still manage. 
Yeah. Donald, I really appreciate you sharing the story of your, your chronic fatigue and, and some of the struggles that you went through when you were uh, uh, playing. Also, in light of what happened to your father, what position might you take uh, with regards to health care coverage and preventive health care in sports? Health care is interesting. Uh, and, and I guess I, I've uh, I, I got a bad taste in uh, healthcare and the healthcare industry because of the things that I was going through and they didn't have answers for me. And frankly, some of the doctor's appointments I went to were pretty silly. Um, you know, I went, they sent me to a neurologist and I go to the neurologist and he's like, do three pushups and I, and I do three pushups. And then he's like, do three squats and I do three squats. And the guy's like, so such a small guy, like tiny guy. He goes, hold your arms out. And I hold my arms out. And he tries to push him down, and he can't. And he goes, oh, nothing's wrong with you. You're good. And I'm like, three? I was doing 300 push-ups a day. <laughs> like, three is not the, you know. So, but neurologically, mm-hmm. I was good. Mm-hmm. So, and he didn't have, like, so from the standpoint that he was looking at it, there was no problem. But it didn't, like, I still was having physical endurance issues. And when I say physical endurance issues, there were times when, you know, at the end of the week in practice, I would chew food and my jaw would cramp. So it was like that kind of like, like, every, like muscle cramping and like everywhere. Um, but I was able to three, do three pushups. So I was good, you know. Um, and then you go to another person that specializes in something and they just deal with you based on that specialty. Uh, so uh, as far as like healthcare, as far as I'm concerned, um, I like to 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 try to deal with folks that see the body as a whole you know um and try to get to underlying causes i've you know had better and more results from uh, eastern you know from acupuncture from uh homeopathy and stuff like that so uh but you know definitely a blend right like when my father fell, he broke his hip. We went to Harborview. They had a new hip in him the next day, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is, you know, some of the stuff you've read is like, oh, Western medicine was like, you know, born for war, right? Like for emergency situations and stuff like that. So it's great for those kind of things. But, you know, people have cancer and, and you know, you go to and they just fill you with medication. A lot of times they don't even talk to you about your diet. You know, the ascetic, ascetic foods or the things that you're eating or your environment and, you know, changes that can help you minimize the impact and help you overcome. And so I think that, um, you know, in the, the healthcare system, uh, like a lot of systems in this country, could stand uh, some uh, improving and, and reworking. Do athletes tend to get better, both collegiately and professionally, tend to get better health care than most people, do you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, for, for, for sure. You know, when my son sprains his ankle or he has an issue and, you know, we go to the doctor and he's like, no, that's a regular doctor. You know, <laughs> like, I'll just sit out for the next four weeks and then come back and see how it feels. I'm like, uh that's not how this operates. <laughs> Let's go find us a sports medicine doctor. We need to be back faster and we need to be back stronger. And just sitting it out is not, you know, we need exercises. We need, you know, blood flow into it. We need those kind of things so that it, re- can, you know, so that we can recover. We need to take vitamin C. We need to take, you know, you fill your body with things that, that heal. Um, and you learn that stuff uh, in the training room. You learn that stuff when, 
you know, you have a, when they give you a scholarship and, you know, so you're on a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever it is, and they need to get you back out there. Um, so it, it, I, I definitely think we get access to, uh, you know, better healthcare, the, the, you know, best meds, the, you know, all of those things, uh, because we have a university or you have a professional team that's invested in, in you and is trying to get you back out there. Uh, so you, you, you learn those things and then you learn how to go into the regular healthcare system and try to, you know, find the people that, you know, that, that are going to push you to get, get better with, with more aggressively. Okay. So as an athlete, as a former athlete, then you think you have more knowledge going forward to deal with the regular healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and I, I, I guess I wouldn't say, I can't speak for just any athlete. I feel like I'm in a unique position because I was spending a lot of time, you know, with doctors and, and, and trying to figure out, trying to plug away and figure out what was going on. I caution, you know, speaking for all athletes and their experience, because I know mine is, is, is pretty unique. But in general terms, I would say, yeah, our experience with athletics puts us in a position where we have a, a better understanding of our body and we're surrounded by people who uh, care more about our bodies because, you know, our bodies are benefiting ourselves, our futures, but also other people. You know, the Gonzaga University was a university that was really, really struggling uh, before 1995 and they went to the NCAA tournament. Now as a university, they're thriving. Like the university has a brand that's a, very, you know, big, good brand, worldwide brand that's built off the success of a basketball team, you know? So yeah, the doctors in Spokane are, you know, happy to be helping those guys and keep them on the floor. And there's a lot more at stake than, you know, if just some, you know, like a regular person has a cold, you know? So I, I definitely think there's an advantage to it. Now, Donald, one of the things I'm really curious about, because you are doing such an incredible job inspiring all of us, taking great care of your father, is a lot of our listeners, our readers of the magazine are kind of in the same place. We're sort of sandwiched where we're raising teenagers or even younger ones. And at the same time, we're taking care of our elderly parents. You know, in my case, my mother also had a stroke. While it wasn't debilitating, it sort of led to some other issues. And now at the age of 87, she has dementia and her short-term memory is really non-existent. And so we've had to learn how to become um, really strong advocates and kind of program managers of her health care in this and navigating the complexity of it and sometimes the frustrating bureaucracy of it, as you you also kind of alluded to. Again, you're such an inspiration. What what advice do you have for our listeners in terms of how to do that well? Yeah, um, I, I guess the the advice I would give is I, I feel like I'm about to talk to the kids about, you know, it's like, hey, you have a goal, you know, have an objective. Um, and, you know, I like to say have a mantra uh, and then be true to it. Right. Like, what do you want for your mother? What do you want for your father um, in, in their, you know, twilight years? Um, and, you know, understand that you are the person, the best person, um, the person who's responsible for giving them that, you know, and your goals for them aren't going to be the same as other people's goals for them, but your goals for them are what count. And what I mean by that is like when you go to a doctor and the doctor will say, hey, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, that doctor doesn't have to deal with the outcome of X, Y, and Z. 
you know, like you do, right? So when you're making those choices, you're making those decisions when, when, when you know, in our situation, um, I'm my father's guardian. There's a guardian of the estate. Um, there's all these people and things at play and there's all these opinions that come at me. I, I know that my father wouldn't, wouldn't serve well in a nursing home, you know, and, and the guardian of the state is concerned about money and, and to, to choose the nursing home, Medicaid's got to be paid down for three to five years. Well, I know my dad wouldn't last five months in a nursing home. So that's not a conversation that we can really have, right? I, I saw him in acute rehab when he was disconnected from family and I walked in there, he was staring at the wall. He was blank. He wasn't doing any of the work that they were asking him to do. He just checked out. Well, when I went in there, he lit up. Hey, man, we got to do this stuff. You want to get out of here? You want to? Oh, okay, okay, okay. And I saw how that changed his spirit. Mm -hmm. Well, that's mm -hmm. that's my responsibility mm -hmm. for for him, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when we're in that place between taking care of our parents, raising kids, understanding what your goals are for your kids, making sure they're not being neglected. Um, what we've tried to do is really include our my. I've really tried to include my kids in and, and they've been great like and when I say great they've been phenomenal as young people about being inspiring to to uh to their grandpa you know every time we walk in the house we we get to kiss him on the head I get to kiss Slick Watts on the head you know <laughs> every day my daughter does the same thing my son does the same thing we take turns sitting down watching movies with him and stuff like that and and we've committed to giving him the best life possible. Now, the other side of that is making sure that you're not neglecting the things that your kids need. And that was one of the biggest struggles for me in this situation was with the financial stuff. I had put so much money into the region. I still haven't gotten that back yet, but I was missing things with my kid. And he was understanding with my son and my daughter that my dad did for me, that we worked so hard, like his recruiting trips, his, uh, you know, his tournaments and all that stuff. I ended up missing some of those things, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons, and I will kind of lighten it up or whatever, when people are like, oh, how do you feel about your son playing for Wazoo? You know, I'm a dog and he's a <laughs> cougar, you know, and like, but my son's at home, right? He had committed to Seton Hall. Now he's at home. So one of my missions through this GoFundMe, right, is to be get a van that we can get in the, you know, I, I can put my dad in the van, we can watch TV on the way over, and we can be at, at in Pullman, and we can be in Ellensburg as much as possible because I know that what that'll do for his his spirits, and I know what that'll do for my spirits, being able to watch. Like, I'm so happy that my kids are going to college in the state where I'll be able to to watch them and participate them and watch them grow. But part of that is because the pandemic took a, a big portion of our sports experience away from us. And then when we were recovering from the pandemic, the financial resources that I had committed to my dad that I had expected to get paid back that I haven't took another hit, took that experience from me and my kids. So um, having them here means that I get to get that back. And I'm so grateful for them, for being who they are, for being here, for putting their arms around my dad and, and, and just grateful that he's going to be able to be a part of that experience. Because one of the things that when he was sick before he had the stroke, he was dealing with some stuff and you got, you know, he thought he was on his way out, but he calls my son. That's my reason for living. That's my reason for living. That's <laughs> his thing. So um, I know it's going to be super inspiring uh, to him. And so like back to the advice is just stay like focused 
especially during the tough times, you need an anchor on what your purpose is, mm-hmm. uh, both for your kids and uh, for your for your parents. At the end of the day, uh, it's hard seeing them go through it, but we're all going to go through it at some point. And hopefully, you know, my wish is that, you know, my kids will, are watching what I'm doing for my father and will, won't kick me to the curb. <laughs> <laughs> When the time comes. <laughs> so anybody listening to this, Donald, is not going to be surprised that you also have done some motivational speaking. And you also want run uh, Watts Basketball. Tell us a little bit about those things. Um, Watts Basketball is just such a natural, you know, when I was not able to, to, to fulfill my own dreams in basketball, uh, the greatest place I could find satisfaction is helping other people. Uh, accomplish their goals and their dreams or um, at least approach it. You know, they all don't accomplish their dreams and goals. Nobody, you know, like that's not, it's not a hundred percent thing, but learning the process of what it means to, to, to really go for it um, is, is like the best thing that I can do, you know, from my spirit and to just like, what can you do and be like the best in the world at like, what's the best place in the world for you to be. And for me, that's Watts basketball doing that. Um, and then motivational speaking is just something that has kind of come naturally, um, probably flowing from my pops. Uh, I remember one of the, I don't even remember what the speech about was about, but one of the greatest joys, uh, of my life was, um, being the, the grand marshal for special Olympics for the special Olympic winter games and being in the Wenatchee arena with a couple thousand, uh, special Olympic athletes, um, and delivering, you know, the speech for that and the response that I got. Um, and the part that I remember most vividly is everybody coming up like, Oh, you Russell Wilson. (laughs) 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 Russell Wilson. What? (laughs) And this is when Russell Wilson was the man too. Now this is, Uh, I was like, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson about half my size, but, (laughs) but it was awesome. It was a, it was an awesome experience. And, and whenever, you know, this is what we're doing here, man. Like whenever you can share your story, good, bad, and different, um, but it can help somebody else. I'm down for it. You know, uh, that's, that's just my nature. I, I get it from my mother and my father back to like being in between parenting, being a son, being a parent, like I really feel like universally, like that's just like who I am. And like, I'm a vessel, my grandparents, my parents, you know, me and then my kids, but it almost feel like I'm not me, like my, like in a good way, right? Like my, like I own up to what my responsibility is for him and what he's taught me. Um, and I'm passing that down to my kids. Um, and it just like, just, just feels like that's where, where we are in the universe. And I accept that, you know, I had goals, I had dreams. I still have goals. I still have things that I'm trying to accomplish, but those things are like significantly intertwined in my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my, it's not to run off and leave somewhere and, you know, but yeah, I I had visions of like, I'm gonna get my kids out the house. I'm gonna start planting some seeds in the South and New Orleans, you know, and kind of be back and forth or whatever, you know, when I'm empty nesting, that's what I'm going to do. Well, I'm not empty nesting, right? My kids are out the house. My dad is in the house. I'm not going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and I, and I hope not to be going anywhere for a long, long time. 
Yeah. Well, I have a feeling, Donald, that with your energy and your charisma and your intelligence and your, your, your thoughtfulness, that wherever you are in life, whether it's the physical location or, or, or where you are in your timeline, there's always going to be something really, really meaningful and important that you'll be doing and contributing to the world. So with that in mind, what are you looking forward to? Do you, have, you have some things coming up, uh, coming down the pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so one of the things we're working on right now is, is getting the Watts Foundation uh, humming. We started the Watts Foundation in 2004, um, but have kind of just supported kids out of our own pockets and whatever. Uh, my father's been everywhere and done everything uh, for everybody and has a lot of equity uh, in the community. And um, I guess it, it's time for us to cash that check. Right. And, and my dad's been in this community for 50 years. And uh, September 16th, we're going to be doing a gala September 18th. We're doing a golf tournament. You can find details of that at uh, thewattsfoundation.org. Uh, but it's really about, and, and especially in this time in my father's twilight, giving him a slice of what his life used to be, right? He used to be at golf tournaments. He used to be at galas. He used to be in, in the community with kids at barbecues. He was everywhere doing everything for everybody. And and one of the like really cool things that I'm looking forward to in this, last year we took him to Xavier University for him to be inducted into a school's Hall of Fame. It was his first year going to the school's Hall of Fame. And when he got out there and he got dressed up, he was in his wheelchair and he saw everything. He has his phaser, so he can't really communicate that. He understands everything and he lets you know he understands with his eyes and with a few cuss words. <laughs> but when he got back home uh, to New Orleans and saw the people he grew up around, he lit up like a Christmas tree. And and I had to deliver his speech. And we were at the t- he was at the table. We're sitting at the table with the president of the school who just stepped down like two years ago. He had been there since my dad was here. Um, but I get up to go, they announce him and I get up to go do the speech or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, do you want to stay here? Or do you want to come up there? Man, he wheeled that chair up there <laughs> so fast. <laughs> this is my moment, man. Uh, he was right next to me and I haven't, I mean, since he's, since before then or until now, he hasn't moved that fast. So, uh, looking forward to getting in a room full of fans with headbands on, dressed up, but with headbands on. And for him to know that the community has gathered together, not only to honor him and support him, but in support of underprivileged kids, the, the kids that he dedicated his life to. Uh, as an educator in, in, in South Seattle, in West Seattle. Um, he lived in Union Hill in Redmond, and he, he you know, took the trip every day. Another for funny story before we get out of here, he picks me up one day. He calls me. Uh, I'm working at the school. It's like I'm home from playing overseas or whatever, and I'm working in the school district following in my dad's footsteps. Can't help myself. Um, and he calls me, and he's like, oh, what time is your lunch? And I'm like, oh, it's about 40, 45 minutes. He's like, okay, well, come outside in 45 minutes. And so I come outside and he pulls up in this Prius <laughs> and it was like, so I'm like, what, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, son. He said, I got a Prius. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> then we're driving. He goes, mm, mm, mm. Slick Watts is really matured. <laughs> Can you believe that? Slick Watts in a Prius. And he's like talking to himself. He's like, you know, this is what they driving in Hollywood. <laughs> but that was my dad, man. That was my dad. That is my dad, you know. But I, I miss those conversations and just some of the, you know, some of the stuff 
when you grow up with them, it's not made for radio. It's not made for podcasts. <laughs> it's not made really to share with anybody. Um, but I have those moments. I cherish them. Uh, sometimes I look at them or, we, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him about stuff that he told me and he said, and he just, he just, he shakes his head at himself uh-huh. <laughs> at some of the things that has come out of his mouth before. Um, so those, I mean, growing up with my pops, man, those are the moments that, that I cherish and that I'm holding on to. And if there's, if there's a, you know, you know, say a prayer for us, um, you know, if there's a miracle that can be sent, I'm, I'm, you know, working for and hoping for a miracle that I'll hear him talk all that crazy talk again. And if not, I'll have those to cherish for the rest of my life. That's great. And, and Donald, I hope that you would be open to coming back and joining us again to share some of those stories and maybe we'll, we'll bleep out anything that's not, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, appropriate. And, and, um, but, uh, really, truly thank you so much for being here. It was just an incredible pleasure and an honor to speak with you, uh, to basketball legend, Donald Watts, son of another basketball legend, Slick Watts. Uh, Thank you, Sandy Gregory, for being here. And what we're going to do is we are actually going to add links when we publish this podcast. You'll see below the widget for the podcast links to the Watts foundation.org and you'll have information on this a night to remember gala the golf tournament slick sunday fun day a lot of great stuff as well as links to the sonics legends fund.org um executive uh, chaired by by sandy gregory and it's just a fantastic organization the great sandy gregory the great sandy gregory uh and last but not least also a link to the power to the people fund for coach watts um and that go fund me um it's, you should find it in your hearts to help out a little um, because we're all living in the same community and we're all one big village. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for it. having me. It's really a blessing. Thank you, Donald. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Seattle Magazine podcast. You can always find us on seattlemag.com. Look for new episodes approximately every two weeks on our website. A special thank you to the entire Seattle Magazine staff and to podcast producer Nick Patry. Contact Lisa Lee at lisa at seattlemag.com for partnership opportunities. Until next time, let's keep celebrating Seattle.